You know, just the phrase, dangerous women, is a little scary to put those two words together even. But just if I say that phrase together with those two words, dangerous women, it, it elicits a multitude of thoughts just across here in just this room. Uh, the men are probably thinking, dangerous women, Lori, are you really sure that we should be talking about something like that? Because if you want to talk about dangerous, you should have seen my wife parallel park my pickup truck if you want to talk about dangerous. And matter of fact, that was on the same day that she forgot to take her hormone pills. Now, that was a dangerous day. Um, or the day that, that he walked into the kitchen and his wife's in there cooking, cooking lunch and he can smell the aroma and it all smells very good. And he looks over there and she's holding his Black & Decker cordless power drill whipping up a bowl of mashed potatoes with it. And uh, you've done that, right? Because it works. I have to tell you, can we just pause here for a second? Because girls, listen, that is the best tool. If you'll take out, just loosen up, take the little drill bit out, put your beater you know, inside that, tighten it up, turn it on high power, 7.5 seconds you can whip out a bowl of mashed potatoes just like that. Now see, the women though, I know what the women are thinking because I've had the privilege of being able to meet with them over the last couple of weeks and we've prayed together and it has been an awesome time, has it not? Um, but whenever I throw out that phrase, dangerous women, to the ladies, they, this is their response. Lori, I don't, I don't do anything dangerous. I'm not really adventuresome. You know, I'm not going to like go jump off the bridge. And they've got these these mental images of parachuting out of planes and uh, images of women dressed in in black leather pants and black boots and a black jacket that says "Born to Be Wild" across the back and and a dude rag, no helmet, riding a Harley, popping a wheelie down 540. Right? That's what we think. Of course, the men now are going, "All right, yeah, let's let's talk about that. That that's the kind of dangerous women that I want to talk about." Well, over the last few weeks, we've kind of divided up intentionally this whole idea of what it means for a man to really man up and follow God with a pure faith. And now and, and even this next weekend, we're going to be talking about dangerous women. And what does that look like and what does that mean? And, you know, God intentionally and creatively designed men and women to be different. Now, I'm going to give you a little picture to hang on to. Um, I don't know if you're about to get Christmas lights at your house, but Christmas lights at our house, they pretty much dictate our whole life. Around Thanksgiving, we get them out. Around January, we turn them off. Around Valentine's Day, spring break, somewhere like that, they come down off the bushes. Um, July, they move from the garage into the attic. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, right? Well, you have Christmas lights, and, and these Christmas lights are, are a lot like men. Okay, I'm, I'm implying that you're very bright men. Okay, these, these are the brightest lights that you can find on the Christmas light shelf. And one thing about these lights is, is they're a single strand, and each light bulb is its own individual light. So if I were to undo this light here, it's not necessarily going to affect the next one. And this is how a man thinks. Not it, he's simple, and that's a good thing. <laughs> That was meant to be a compliment. (laughs) He gets the job done. The wires are not crossed. If he's at work, he's at work. He's at home, he's at home. He's being father with his kids, 
he's father with his kids. And if the, something goes bad necessarily over here, it doesn't necessarily affect this one over here. When he's at home with his wife, the light's turned on there. Hers might not be turned on at the same time, but that's a different subject for a different day. Um, but his wires don't cross in his thoughts. A man is very compartmentalized in his thinking, and that is the way that God has designed him. He's very focused. And when he's on task with that task, he's on task there. Now, will this catch on fire if I leave them in that box again? We don't want to do that. That would be a dangerous woman. All right. Now, women, this is your brain. A part of being a dangerous woman is just admitting the truth. Somebody needs to be bold enough just to say it like it is. And I'm sorry to let you down, ladies, but it's time. I want everybody, all the women in here to raise your right hand. Why don't you repeat after me? I admit I'm a mess. This is our brain. Now, when I was growing up, my job was to take these type of Christmas lights and to untangle them. Because these lights, when they get tangled up, they're a mess. And you can plug them in, and if one light bulb is out, half the strand or the whole strand is, is out. Now, my parents weren't smart enough then to just throw them away because they had free child labor. And so it was my job to untangle them and go through here and figure out which one of these lights wasn't working properly and get it put back in there so that the whole strand would work again. Now, women are like this in that when we're thinking, when we're at Walmart and we're doing the grocery shopping, we're also thinking about what's for dinner that night and what clothes we're going to wear the next day. And did that person call me and, and okay, now would you stop screaming right now? And, oh, yeah, I need to get that gift for so-and-so. And all these thoughts are just running through our head. And if we have one thought that happens in the day, it affects everything else. We cannot separate out. Are you with me, women here? The men are going, huh? Because, see, they're, they're, single. they're single thinking. But the women know exactly what I'm saying because all of our thoughts, and they're just going, they're just blinking. They're constantly going all the time. Well, I want to tell you a story today about a woman who I believe she, she had focus. And she knew how to take her thoughts and her emotions and her actions, and she knew how to handle them in such a way that they were powerful. And because we think like this, women, because we are like this, our greatest influence in our family, in our home, in our church, in our friends, with our children, in our marriage, begins internally. It all begins right here. But if it's all getting mixed up and we can't separate out and we can't focus, then that's not a good thing. However, because we do have all of these thoughts and because we can kind of see things, God can also take that and use that for a mighty mighty impact in his world. Now, I want to tell you a story today about a lady named Mary. And this Mary particularly was from the town of Bethany. And before we turn into scripture, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. Mary is at a party with her sister, Martha, and her brother, Lazarus. Also at this party is Jesus and his disciples and a man named Simon who was a leper, and we believe that he was probably healed, maybe by, or probably by Jesus, because he's not isolated, um, but he's actually in a house. Well, let's back up a little bit. Before this party takes place, Jesus had been completely at another town. And while he's at this other place, 
a messenger comes to him and says, your friend Lazarus is sick. Most of us would think that that would be an emergency. Jesus did not consider it to be an urgent matter because he waited two more days before he left to head to the town to see about his friend. When he finally said to his disciples, okay, let's go and let's go see about Lazarus, they said, uh, you know, he's probably dead by now. And um, by the way, Jesus, don't you remember that the last time that you were in this town over here, which was Jerusalem, don't you remember the last time you were there, they tried to stone you. I don't know that going there is the safest place for you to be. But nevertheless, Jesus said, let's go. And Thomas, his comment was in the book of John, he said, well, okay, I guess we'll all go and we'll just all die. So they all head and they head to Jerusalem, which is about two miles outside of the city of Bethany. And they get there and and Martha meets Jesus and, and Mary comes out and they both say to him, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus sees Mary weeping. And he sees Martha crying. And he sees all the people who have come from Jerusalem and Bethany to mourn with these ladies over the death of their brother. And he sees them and he's deeply moved. And he cries with them. And then he says, take me to where you've buried Lazarus. And so they take Jesus there. And they they had put him into a cave. Not Jesus, but Lazarus. They put Lazarus into a cave. And Jesus says, move the stone. And when he does, Lazarus comes forth wrapped in his death linen, and he's been raised from the dead. Well, the Jews that were there saw this, and some of them right then began to believe in Jesus, right that moment. And others went back into Jerusalem, and they were telling the religious leaders what had been going on. So now, really, there's two events happening. What happened now is you've got the Jews that have come over here, and and they've gone back and they've told the people what Jesus has done. And now you've got this party, this celebration over here that is happening and Jesus' honor. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to pick up reading here. This story is found three places in the Bible. It's found in the book of Matthew, it's found in the book of Mark, and it's found in the book of John. We're going to pick up reading a few verses here in the book of Mark, but we need to keep in mind the whole story and keep it all married together and united together. And let's look here, and let's read chapter 4, verse 3 through verse 9. And it says, While he, which was Jesus, was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with alabaster vial, a very costly perfume and of pure nard. And she broke that vial, and she poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you that wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Mary had this container of perfume. It was an alabaster jar, and it was very costly, very expensive perfume. And it says that she took this perfume, and she spilled it out 
over Jesus. Now, in the book of Mark, it says that she poured it on his head. In the book of Matthew, it says his head. In the book of John, it says his feet. And then Jesus goes on and talks about her anointing his whole body for burial. So we can, we can safely assume that his whole body was covered with his perfume. Now, Mary is sitting here, and she's at Jesus' feet, and this party, this celebration is happening. And I believe that Mary is thinking, and she is feeling a deep love for Jesus, the person that she is focused on right now. It's not a romantic kind of love, but it's the kind of love that you are just in awe of who he is. And so she just takes this perfume, and she pours it all over him, costly perfume, worth 300 denarii, it says, which at that time was worth a whole year's salary. Can you imagine having in your hand right now your whole salary for the whole year in one lump sum and then just it being gone? That's costly. Now, I don't know what Mary's thoughts were, but this week while I was trying to think, okay, if I had been in that situation, what would I have done? I like to think that I would have been just like Mary. I like to think that I would have been that extravagant with my sacrifice and my love expression toward Jesus Christ. But if we could just pause here for a minute, let me just give you a glimpse into what my thoughts were as I was thinking through this whole thing this week of would I actually be like Mary? My thoughts would have been this. Should, should I really pour out the ointment on Jesus? Because what if that would be wasteful? What if, what if maybe I should take the money and I should break it all up and I should go buy little containers for all the little disciples and everybody could have their own little ointment and that we could just all take part in this whole work of worship and we could anoint Jesus all together. Or, you know, what if last time I did something with Jesus, Martha, she was mad. So is she going to be mad at me again this time? And, and what if, what if the, the perfume, what if the smell of it gets into the air and, and other people smell it and they come and they know now that Jesus is here and, and they come and they try to stone him again or they try to arrest him. And then it's all my fault that this whole thing has even happened, that they would even try to stone Jesus again. And, and I'm not really sure what to do and I think I'll pray about it. I'll take a week or so, and maybe I'll see if I can find some kind of peace, and, and I'm going to pray about it. And I think I'll call up my friend, or I'll text her, so I'm texting my friend, do you think I should? Well, actually, if I were texting, it would be more like, D, <laughs> oh, dude, I, I can't do it. I'm not a very good texter. Um, and then we put on our Facebook status, you know. Um, Lori's blue. I don't have a clue. I don't know what to do. And so then my friends start sending me sarcastic flair to go on my Facebook of what they think that I ought to do. And so then I sit down and I tell my husband, you know, honey, I'm really thinking about doing this. I know it's really extravagant. I know it's really costly. What do you think I should do? And he says, well, Lori, if you feel that strong about it, I think you should do it. Yeah, but honey, I'm not real sure because, you know, this could happen and that could happen. And then he says, well, then don't do it. And so then I turn to him and I say, well, what, you don't think I'm capable of doing something like this? And all these emotions just start flowing through me. And, and where I was once now confident in God and my focus was centered completely on Jesus, now I'm completely self-confused, self-deflated, self-defeated, and the focus has completely turned around to me. Because I took my focus off of Jesus. And no longer am I looking at Jesus being the epicenter. And from that epicenter of that focus, all my actions come from that. I start kind of going over here and dealing with that thought. And I come over here and I think, well, maybe that could be true. Or maybe this could be true. Instead of going, you know what? This is truth. This is truth. And if that is truth, it demands of me and it requires of me to look at that and to give to Jesus 
extravagantly. But to do that, ladies, I will tell you this. It's very dangerous. The very first thing that you have to do to be dangerous is this action. You've got to live on the edge of debt. And that's a scary thing. You've got to live on the edge of death in your heart. And quite frankly, when I come to those places in my heart, that I'm standing there and God is revealing to me and He's exposing these places, it's not comfortable. And I'm scared. Because when I look at the other side of what He's asking me to do or what He's asking me to give up, you really want me to give up this kind of attitude that I've always had because I'm, I'm really comfortable with that. That's all I know. You really want me to give of my life in this amount? You really want me to step forward and share my faith with this person? You really want me to do that? I don't know that I can. But if you'll go to the root of those places in your heart where it all starts getting messed up and tangled up and interwoven, and you'll get down to the really deep, deep, to the root of that place in your heart, you will find right there is the place that you need to die. That place in your heart that gets you going internally, that gets your focus off of God and Christ being the center, that place right there, that's the place where you or an I, we're alive. And we know that when we've given our life to follow Christ, wherever I'm alive, Jesus isn't. And so we have to determine, am I going to live on the edge of death in those places in my heart that I can give costly, what I can give extravagantly, that I can give boldly, that I can look and say, God, it's not me. It's not me, God. I I will go there. I will die there. You know, the second thing that I think that Mary did was she defied culture. What Mary did was she took this possession in her hand. Costly possession. She had a choice to make. But what she did is she took this possession and by pouring it out, she made it an expression of her faith. Faith, ladies, is an active thing. It's not a possession that you hold on to. It's an active, active thing. You know, when we lived in Zambia, um, it was the very first year that we were there And I love to take photos. And so we went to this game park. Now, mind you, it's not the zoo. It's not the gentry game park. This is a real Africa, real animals, real kind of thing going on here. And I'm not not a professional photographer, but I do like to pretend like I am. And so we are driving around the game park, and there is a herd of elephants over to the side, and they're bathing and frolicking in the Zambezi River. And I have my zoom lens on my camera, but it's just not quite long enough to quite get the picture that I want. So I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get out of the vehicle. (laughs) I'm going to get out of the vehicle, and I'm going to get closer to the elephant so that I can get that award-winning National Geographic photo that I so desired. And as I get closer to the elephants, and I'm being careful, Daniel, I am walking softly toward the elephants. I didn't know that in elephant culture that when they are bathing that you have one elephant that stays out, kind of watching guard, protecting the other elephants. And so as I walked closer 
this elephant begins moving in the trees. And I now see him, and he sees me. And his his ears flare up, and his trunk goes up, and he trumpets a very loud, whatever elephants do, trumpet sound thing. Okay, let's just all do it together. Go ahead, Scott, lead the way. One, two, three. There you go. If you're a visitor here at Grace Point, we are so sorry that you had to endure that. So this elephant is now trumpeting at me and starts to stomp his feet and charging toward me. And I did what any professional photographer and dangerous woman would have done. I ran. I ran as fast as I could. I did not know that when I stepped out there, I thought I would just, you know, kind of creep in. I would not disturb their life that was going on. But when I stepped out, I stepped into their territory that they had already set up boundaries for, and I created a conflict there. Now, oftentimes, ladies, I will tell you that when you step forward with a dangerous kind of faith, you will defy culture. Culture is this. Culture is is a group of people that have a belief that determine their behavior. Now, we have an American culture. We go to Mali. There's an African culture. In your family, you have a culture just within your family. You go to school. The school has a culture, and they have boundaries set up for those children. But then you go to my first grade teacher's class, and she had a completely different culture altogether. We abided by her rules, and her rules were a lot stricter than the school's rules. And there was a culture that was created. Now, whenever we step forward and we find ourselves that that we want to be this kind of dangerous, we will find conflict in that culture, just as Mary did. Mary did several things that conflicted against culture. One of the things that she did is she took on the job of a slave person by washing Jesus' feet with her hair when when she poured out this ointment. Another thing that she did that that went against the culture is is it was okay whenever someone came in, a guest or, or maybe even a king, that you might anoint their head with a little bit of oil. But the whole jar, Mary, come on. You know, what were you thinking? And, of course, the disciples, their reaction, the Bible says that their reaction was that they were indignant. And they're looking at it saying, why this waste? Shouldn't... Shouldn't we have taken this ointment? And shouldn't we have sold this ointment and given it? That was, a, that was another thing that she did. It was Passover time, or just about Passover time. And it was customary in that culture to give to the poor during Passover time so that they could also prepare. So we can't be too hard on the disciples here and say, well, you know, you guys are just being a little, little tough on Mary, because they were thinking logically. They were thinking that there's a lot of poor people that we could have helped get ready for the Passover meal. But instead, Mary, you just dumped out the whole container. We will defy culture. And when we do that, it, it sets up a place that we have to find that it's okay to be vulnerable. That it's okay to be vulnerable. Culture and the Bible will clash. But where the Bible is clear, then you go with God's Word. And you know, sometimes culture and religion will clash, just like it did with the disciples. But when our focus is clear, and our focus is on Jesus Christ and what He's asked us to do, then we can step forward. forward. We, can, we can step on that edge of death. We can defy culture in that place. Another thing that I want you to see about Mary 
the third thing that she did is she took advantage of a divine moment. You know that word moment? We get it from the word atomos. And from that word, we get the word atom. An atom, an atom is the smallest part of an element. Anybody in here had to memorize the periodic table elements in chemistry? Only one nine-year-old brave enough to raise his hand over here. Okay, thank you. Um, I didn't memorize it. I, I, I think we were supposed to, and, and I didn't do it. But an atom is that smallest particle of an element, and it makes up everything that you see. And it's so small and so, and so tiny that we cannot see it with the human eye. And it's so small that when we're in a room, we, just, we don't even think that, hey, I'm sitting on a bunch of atoms right now. We're not thinking about the atoms that are making up every part in the room. They're so in, invisible that we can almost miss them. But we also get the same word or another word from atomos. We get the word atomic. And if you take one of those invisible atoms and you take it and you divide it into an even smaller particle, you create an impact that is beyond expression. Now, what Mary did is she had a moment. It was a quick moment. And when we take advantage of those quick moments, we can make an impact that lives way way beyond what we ever dreamed or thought. I was, um, this last week, I had taken the boys to one of their sports activities. And I I had had one of those weeks where I had a lot still to do, and I'm thinking I still have to go and do this, and my list is still this long, but my day is now this short. So I think what I'm going going to do is I'm going to take my computer and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to sit. And while the boys are doing their activities, I will sit at my computer and I will work on the things that I need to work on. And I'm going to get a lot of these things done. So I go in there with my computer and I'm sitting there working. And I'm working on something for church and the Grace Point logo comes up on the screen. Well, this lady who was sitting a couple of chairs from me now scoots a little bit closer to me so that she can see her, her son. And she looks over and she sees the Grace Point logo and she says to me, um, what kind of church is that? And I said, well, it's the kind of church that you go and we make elephant noises during the service. And, no, that. Um, and so I was telling her about Grace Point and in that conversation, it's still in my mind, you know what I'm still doing? I'm still battling the thought, and I even hate to admit this, getting a little irritated because I've got a job to do. And it's an important job because it's church work. And I need to get this job done because there are people who are waiting for me to accomplish this task. And I began to battle. You know where I was? I was on that edge. That's where I was. Am I going to die to Lori McDaniel and all her little things that she thinks she's got to crank out? Am I going to die to culture that says, hey, if you want something to be really effective, then it's got to have all these little elements to it, and you're going to have to work like a little worker bee to get it done, or it's not going to be excellent and perfected, and that's the way it ought to be? Or am I going to take advantage of a divine moment? Right then. 
And so she and I began to have this conversation. So I started asking her, you know, where do you, where do you go to church? And she doesn't go to church anymore and because where she went to church, I found out that her husband had died about a year and a half ago. And she doesn't want to walk out in there anymore because it makes her feel uncomfortable. So as we, I began to ask her other questions. I found out, and she began to tell me her whole story. Her whole story that had taken place over a year and a half time that her husband had died. And after he died, uh, it wasn't long after that that she found out she was pregnant. And a few months later, then she lost that, that baby. And in, in all of this, things that transpired and things she had to do with Social Security, she wound up found out, finding out that, that she was adopted. And, and she didn't know this. She was 32 years of age. And her mother had passed away. And now her father, she found out, is not her real dad. And this story is just happening. In 20 minutes' time, so much that I almost thought, is this real? And I went home and I told Mike, you're not going to believe the conversation that I just had in about a 30-minute time with this lady. A divine moment that could have quickly, quickly passed by. That ladies, faith, I know every one of us is busy, and we don't have much time for faith. And the faith that we have time for is pretty much defined as coming to church, right? I've got to get up, I've got to go to church, or if we're really in faith, then I will come to the women's prayer time or I will go to the women's Bible study and we define our faith within this framework. And that would be okay if faith were a possession that we could put in a box and wrap up neatly and tight with a bow. That we could say, okay, here's, here's my faith and I'm going to set up these walls and these parameters here for my life and my time and my schedule And now, God, would you come in and be a part? But faith isn't that way. Faith is active, not passive. Faith, dangerously, should be an expression, not a possession. And it will cost. And so what we have to do is we have to look at the object that we are to give our adoration to and decide, is that that I need to give my adoration to worthy or worth more than what I have over here that keeps me from expressing that? Does that make sense to you? Let me put it a little bit simpler. Is Jesus Christ worth more than a year's salary? Whew. A little squirming going on in the back pocket there. Is Jesus Christ more important than all the things that I think I need to get done today? Is Jesus Christ more important to me that I could stand up here and I can die to that attitude within me that produces these harsh words with my children or my family? Is Jesus Christ worth more to me that I could let go and I could die to and I could define that culture that says you should not express your faith, that I could walk across the street and begin to have coffee with my neighbor who has never heard about Jesus Christ. Or maybe I don't even know. I don't know. Do they know Christ? Because this is real stuff. It's not what you wear or what you drive or how much you make as the world would say or how many kids you have and how well they behave and and what your husband is doing, and all these other elements that we just allow to come into our life, it really just boils it all down. It really just comes down to this. 
You know, when Mary took advantage of a divine moment and Jesus said what she's done is good, I don't think she even comprehended the fullness of what she was doing. Jesus said she's anointed my body for burial. She did not see into the future. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in a few days. He even told them, I'm going to die in a few days. But to comprehend the fullness of that, you and I have the ability to look back at the story and go, okay, well, that's what's happened. But we don't have the ability to look forward. And in that expression of her faith, of giving up that possession, and in that divine moment of defying culture and what everybody else around her might be thinking, and being completely vulnerable, and offering that sacrifice wholly, not just half, not just part, and that would be enough, but the whole shebang, Jesus said, that's a beautiful thing. And then he said this, what she has done will be told in memory of her as she shares, as the gospel is being shared. You know what Mary did? She revolutionized her story. We all like the story to be about me, right? We like to get out the scrapbooks. We like to look at the photo albums. We like to go and reminisce. And we like to hear all these stories. And we like, okay, you know, maybe I'm the only one who wants the world to revolve around them, but I'll be the first one to admit it. I like it when things are neat and revolving around me. But Mary, because of what she did, she revolutionized her story. What story do you want to be told of you? I know sometimes what story is told of me. Not too long ago, my children would come home from school, and I would be working, 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 working up on the computer. And I would hear them come in, and they would trot up the little stairs where my little computer desk is. And um, one by one, they would come come in, and they would say, Mom, are you in a good mood today? They were just wanting to know what the temperature was in the house. Is Mom feeling under pressure to get the job done? Is Mom running out of time to get the job done and and fix something for me, and get dinner made, and get all these other things. Mom, are you in a good mood today? And so I would say, yeah. Did we think that they believed it? Um, But then Joshua, my youngest, he would come in and he would say this. Let me see your face. Because just saying it didn't necessarily make it true. But he could tell by my expression what was real. I am guilty quite often of a lot of faith words, a lot of faith talk that sound right, sound righteous, sound holy, sound good. But you want to know the real part of it? You want to know the real faith? Then you have to look at the expression. You have to look at the faith expression of what's being given. What is your faith costing you? What are you doing with your faith that is extravagant? What are you doing with your faith that when Jesus says about your life, that when it's all over at the end, that he says, 
what, what this person has done, what these people have done at Grace Point Church, it will be told of them wherever the gospel is shared. What is told of them is in context of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came. He loved. He gave extravagantly. He sacrificed dangerously. That's the gospel. So when my story is told, will it be told the same that Lori McDaniel loved boldly? She gave extravagantly. She sacrificed dangerously and lived a life of faith. When we came back from Zambia, we left part of our heart there. So for several years after that, we would take mission trips there because half of our heart was there, so we had to keep going back and finding the other part of our heart. And we would take teams from Grace Point, and we would go and we would do missions and ministry there, and we had some amazing Amazing times. Well, on a couple of those trips, um, because where we worked, where it's located, it's located on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. And there's this gorge, a very deep gorge that runs between these two countries. And there's a bridge that spans this gorge. And you can jump off this bridge. We had used all of our words of wisdom teaching. The uh, people out in the village, that all we had left was it was awesome. Um, we went... And we got a free T-shirt. No, actually, I think we had to pay for it. Now that I think about it, you would think it would have been free, right? We got this T-shirt, and on the back of it, it says, this is highly recommended to combat boredom, lack of interest, listlessness, couch potatoes, overbearing bosses, stiff upper lips, and hormonal imbalances. I see, I just signed a bunch of women up just with that last phrase right there. But you you look at that and you think, are y'all crazy? And yes. The answer is yes. But you're getting ready, and, and there's people that are looking over the edge. And the matter of fact, there's more people that are lined up across the bridge looking over the edge than there are people that are actually jumping. So you get ready to jump, and there's just this narrow um, passageway. Everything else has a guard rail on it for everybody's safety and protection. But there's a narrow passageway just right in the center. And once you get everything strapped around your ankles, you step up. And they tell you, don't look down. Just look at the horizon and stay focused there. I think that they think, and it probably would be true, that if you look down, you might actually get a little weak knee, and instead of intentionally jumping off the bridge, you might actually fall off the bridge. But when you step up to this place right here, All of a sudden, in the matter of just a few seconds, this thought, no matter how brave you are and how daring you might be, you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, (laughs) nothing deep, (laughs) nothing profound, but that's what you're thinking. Right, Sarah? Right. And your heart is now in your throat, and you're breathing You're not sure you are. And then, and just boom, they count down. Five, four, three, two, one, bungee. And you just go, still focused out there. And you jump. And you do it. And when it's done, you come back up and you say, see? You say, it was awesome. And everybody who comes back that I know of would say, and Sarah would agree, I'd do that again. I'd do that again. In our faith, we can set up guardrails right here. 
And there can be a lot of people, some of our closest friends even, that can be along this guardrail cheering us on. Yeah, you go for it, girl. You do it. You be dangerous. You be bold. I'm praying for you as you jump off that. But you go for it. And they're watching and they're taking pictures and they're seeing and they're thinking, I'm not ever going to do that, but you go for it. And then there are a few with their faith that are dangerous enough to step through a narrow passageway to say, you know what? I am. I'm doing this. I am going to die to myself every day. And ladies, I wish I could tell you that this was a one-time adrenaline-flowing event that you just say, I'm going to live for Christ and it's just going to be dangerous and I'm just going to do it and it's just going to be awesome, just like if you were jumping off a bridge or you were driving down the highway and you've accomplished putting your eyeliner on at the same time. Whatever your poison is that you think is dangerous, that it's just a one-time event, but it's not. It's not. It is a daily event of going, okay, that area of my life, God, you examine it and you expose it so I can die there. And I will be bold enough to be vulnerable in the culture and I will keep Jesus Christ at the epicenter of my faith. And I will take advantage of those divine moments. And I will let the story that's told not just be about me and my life, but it will also be about Christ. And those of you who have done that, who have given your life to following Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You've done that. you stepped up. It was a little scary to say, you know what, I, I am. I'm giving my life to follow Christ. That's what I'm going to do. But if you've done it, every one of us who are followers of Christ would say, I'd do it again. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so so there might be some of you who are in that place right now going, am I going to step off? Can Can I be bold enough to give my life and faith to following Christ? And then there are others of you who you've done that. But now, for whatever reason, you're kind of back here behind the guardrail where it's safe and protected. And you're saying, okay, I'm going to stay over here beside the guardrail, but come on, God, make me dangerous. Or at least make me look like I'm faithful. Make me look like I'm, I'm bold enough for you and courageous to follow you in whatever you ask me to do. And some of you need to move from the safety position to the dangerous position. Don't look down. Keep your eyes completely focused on Jesus Christ. God, we we just lift you up. You are completely awesome. You know all things. And God, there's not one thing that you call us to do or you ask us to become, that you're not there meeting us, equipping us, filling us with peace, strengthening us, upholding us, extravagantly loving us. And God, we thank you. God, we thank you. God, make us bold. God, help us to step forward in fear. And as we step forward in fear, fear, would you replace those those now empty pockets full of trust in you? 
God, may our life be a testimony and a story not of us. That may we boldly live our faith in such a way that our story is completely about you.